You are listening to the Talking Tough Podcast, the world's toughest men and women at their most vulnerable. Their stories of triumph, their falls from grace, and their climb back to the top, to life. This is Rick Bassman here for Talking Tough on the Podcast One Network. So, uh, hey, everybody out there, anybody out there, providing there's uh, anybody out there watching this, uh, just three guys messing around a little bit. Rick Bassman from Talking Tough, formerly UPW, and John Pozorowski from the famed two-man power trip radio and podcast empire. Yes, what's going on, David Marquez, who needs no introduction, but I'll give him one anyway, the... uh, Chief Executive of the United Wrestling Network of Championship Wrestling from Hollywood and purveyor of all things hip and current. And um, this is not a talking tough interview today, but since I had this idea to mess around with this, I just thought I would talk for a minute. So I like to hear myself talk, of course, and uh, kind of see what happens here. Um, I just thought, guys, Dave, John, I mean, Dave, you and I have been friends for a long time now. I guess we're friends. I hope so. Um, sometimes I think Dave Marquez hates me, guys, but that's just my personal insecurities at work. <laughs> and uh, that's that's why I'm in counseling eight days a week, but that's all right. Um, and uh, John and I are new buddies here. We are working colleagues and we're becoming oh, yeah. friends because I'm really, it's, again, I hope John likes me too. Probably nobody does. I'm fooling myself. It's all good. Um, <laughs> all right. It looks like we're on live. I think this is actually working. It Technology. is working. I'm watching it here at home. Yep. Yeah. Wow. Yes. Is anybody watching us? I don't think anybody's on with us yet. Uh, John Roberts from the back house is watching. From the bath house? Is that what you said? Back house. Well, he is from San Francisco. Oh, the back house. I think it's the bath house. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm like, that's exactly the audience we're after. Okay. Excellent. Uh, so, man, guys, what do you think about this? is a broad question. What do you think about what's happening in the wild world of wrestling right now? Do you guys like the empty arena stuff? David, I know you got some serious thoughts on that. Well, I don't mind it at all. Um, it's, uh, uh, I mean, it's kind of an evil necessity right now um, to, uh, one, just be in production. Uh, you can't let people in. So if we're allowed to produce, um, I'm not against it as long as, you know, it's the safest environment. And if the guys want to do it. Um, uh, but, but no, it's, to me, it's not difficult to, uh, to watch. I see a lot of fans and people within wrestling kind of, uh, complaining that, uh, it's difficult to watch, uh, because there's no, uh, audience interaction, which is a huge part of it, of course. Um, but, uh, being on the backside of things, uh, the majority of the time I'm kind of watching things and listening to things uh, on headphones or, uh, uh, three layers of walls and, and all that kind of stuff. So it's already mute to me. I'm watching it on some monitor with no audio. So um, uh, I don't mind it. Yeah. You know, it's, you, you mentioned, um, you know, without the benefit of a live audience, which is a kind of a huge deal. And I, I've had people many times ask me throughout the years, you know, what are some of the primary differences between mixed martial arts and pro wrestling? The, the two things, you know, probably more, or most other things. And I always say, well, the primary difference for the performance, from the performer standpoint, is when you go into a fight, uh, and, and this I speak from both my own experience and people I know, 
that the check in that buildings or the downs or whatever the, the sound mechanism is, you forget anybody else in the world exists other than you and the person you're in there with. Whereas pro wrestling, it's like just the polar opposite. And I mean, you're there to elicit a reaction from the fans. And it trips me out that they're able, they being everybody, you know, the WWE guys and girls and with the, the, the AEW folks, whoever who's ever doing it, they, they can actually get through a decent match without audience feedback. It's blowing my mind. That's that's my opinion. Well, I think they've had an awful lot of practice, too, because a lot of these guys come from independent wrestling, and there's not a big crowd to begin with. So um, <laughs> so there, there's been a lot of dress rehearsal. What's this? Okay, here you go. John, have you ever promoted before? Me? No. Uh, con conventions, autographs, things, but never actually uh, show shows. Yeah, not a, not a pro wrestling show. Consider yourself lucky then. Okay. So here's a question based on what you just said, David, here's a question for you. What's the smallest crowd you ever drew for a show that you promoted? Man, it's sad to say this too. I was in Santa Monica at the Anoki Dojo and it was okay. a packed card. Like AJ was there, AJ Styles, CM Punk, Samoa. Um, Cause there were a bunch of, we had a bunch of ring of honor and new Japan people just working out. Mm -hmm. uh, and we were doing Sunday shows every Sunday. We just did an event. Uh, basically, what did you learn this week? And we put it all into a, a, like a, an hour and a half uh, show every Sunday. And for whatever, and we promoted this one. We never promoted the other ones. We didn't care if people showed up. Senshuke Nakamura was there. Like it was pretty big um, for today's standards. Uh, and I think there were three people there. <laughs> oh That's fantastic. Okay, so. And you promoted it. And okay, we promoted so the damn thing. And I don't know if people didn't believe that they were going to be there. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if people didn't want to drive to Santa Monica that day. It was it was summer. And I remember it was really hot that day. Um, but still, we, were, we, we would do shows every Sunday regardless. But this one we actually promoted and said, hey, all these great people are going to be here. And three people showed up. <laughs> wow. So, so Nakamura, Samoa Joe, AJ Styles. Well, I guess they threw one. What's that? It's punk. Well, then they each, they each threw three quarters. That's, of that's right. <laughs> and I took them all wow. to uh, Buca that's de Beppo's afterwards. So <laughs> that was their reward. <laughs> nice. The three fans. You brought the fans yeah, with the you, fans seriously? Came with us. <laughs> that's awesome. Went down to the promenade. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Only in pro wrestling. Only in pro wrestling. That's, that's a beautiful thing. Here, I'm going to put you guys on the spot with a uh, controversial question. I think this is controversial. So... Have you guys heard about that um, that letter that went out today from a uh, guy who's using the pseudonym John? Do you already you're already nodding, David? Do you know what I'm talking yeah, about here? I've read it. All right, and I've, um, I've seen John Pozorowski. Do you know about this? Yeah, John. Do you know about this? Which no, which which letter? What are you, what are you referring to? Not not you, John, but some guy who said his name was John. It was a pseudonym. Mm -hmm. It was an anonymous letter sent to. Uh, I don't know, David. What a oh, the city a, council, city yeah, council, right? Oh, okay, very good. Saying I am an employee of WWE, and I they're making us go to work right now. I don't feel safe going to work. I think they should be shut down and not doing shows. But if I say anything to them, I'm going to get fired. So please intervene. Have, did you hear about this yet? I did, and WB came out and says not true, right? 
Well, of course, yeah, and, and as they would have to, any yeah. company would have to take that line. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah. Yep. All right, but here's a controversial. <laughs> <laughs> there goes four. John, you got to meet that dog, Dave. I, I got to put your dog over for a second. That dog almost—that dog almost killed me, John. And that dog's like four and a half pounds. Um. I've got my four pit bulls here, as you know. I put my money on sport any day over my dogs. Um, hmm. So, Dave, what do you, what, Dave and John, what do you guys think? Um, you think that guy was telling the that if he went to WWE with that, he would get fired? Uh, I mean, I one, I don't know if it's if it's true. I mean, you and I both know how that place operates. Um, mm -hmm. So, I, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't, it doesn't hold a lot of water with me, uh, for as aggressive as a company that they are. Um, I don't see them, especially in the way that they are currently operating. There's controversy around that to begin with. Um, I don't think they want to shine any more lights on them. So I don't think they would go to the extent of saying you have to do this. Um, Fair. Uh, Fair. They, you know, publicly traded all the stuff they like to talk about. Uh, and, and in their response, in their statement, they said they do have an HR department. Anybody out there? I'm sorry. Go ahead. I got some feedback. Go ahead, Dave. Um, you know, they do have an HR department. They are corporate. And I can't see that uh, uh, holding anything. But the, t but the tough part is, and uh, John, I'm not sure if you're privy to this type of information, but you, we, we have to look at it as employee. So we all know that they're independent contractors and they have contracts and they are not necessarily an employee. Um, they do have employees in production and administration and travel and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So if it's not a talent saying that I can't see them using the term, I am a WWE employee because everybody there knows they're not an employee. Well, I think um, it's gotta be office or administrative or something. Well, that's the first thing I thought of. So, uh, or production, but I, still can't, said, but, yeah. I, but I still can't see a camera operator or, you know, a tech, uh, which is probably what would be down there um, uh, to do that being being held. Well, you have to do this. And I, I just don't see that happening. Sounds okay. like a, a, oh, sounds hey, like uh, a work to Devin me. Devin Nichols. Like, oh, I'm sorry. Jerry. I was going to say it sounds like work to me. It sounds like somebody's BSing saying that they're an employee, that they work there, but they necessarily probably don't. It looks like somebody's trying to get them in trouble or whatever, because I don't think they would let that information be leaked out of there where they could legally get in trouble. I don't think they would ever let that happen. I, I That's my gut, too. I want to say a quick hello to a couple of people that are watching us right now. Uh, Devin Nicholson is on Hannibal. Oh, Hannibal, Devin. the man. Yeah, nice. Here, here, here's a quick uh, put you over, Devin. Do you... Dave, do you know Devin? I do. The Hannibal, the Hannibal TV with 145,000 followers on YouTube. Devin, will you put a uh, post up real quick that Paul Zorowski and Marquez and Bassman are on live so we have more <laughs> than six people watching this <laughs> with your massive body? Guys, check out the Hannibal TV. It does killer stuff. The Hannibal the TV. Yep. Great stuff. And there's another guy on who... You know, I know Dave. I know that you know I consider myself pretty tough, but um, we got a guy on who could absolutely kick all three of our asses with one hand and two legs tied behind his back, and that is Tom Erickson, the big cat. 
probably oh wow nice the, the biggest yeah. unsung hero in the history of mixed martial arts and legend has it they wouldn't let tom into um to ufc at the time because mark kerr and mark coleman two dear friends of mine i want to qualify that before i say this because mark and mark didn't want to fight him so anyway tom erickson is on which is pretty cool dave what are you working on man so you're not doing live shows. What are you doing for United Wrestling Network and Championship Wrestling from Hollywood now? Well, we've uh, started repackaging shows. We still have our market-specific programs that have to go out with new uh, customized opens because of sponsorships and whatnot uh, and new messages from the advertiser and the local station. So, <clears throat> I mean, those are limited. We have one, two, three, four of those. Um, uh, the national show is basically we re-racked uh, the program's 10 weeks. So this weekend coming up, we're going to start with our milestone blockbuster. That's what we kind of call our special events or pay-per-views, if you want to call it that. Uh, um, so we're starting from there going forward, hoping that by the end of everything and depending on when we're allowed back into the studio, the storylines will actually butt up again to a date that we can you know, pay all this stuff off. Um, and uh, that's what we're doing. Uh, we're still negotiating with stations. We're still talking to advertisers. Um, it's business as usual here. Uh, uh, still dealing with our partners at the theater and um, uh, all that kind of stuff. So uh, I know those guys. It's, it's, yes, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's still going and going and going and going and going. It's just not as active with everyone. We have a staff of probably three and a half people and I'm the half of the three. So uh, when, it, when it comes to uh, production, uh, all editors, that that's all that's really being employed right now. Yeah. How, how many stations, I, I know it's probably impossible to get an accurate account, but how many stations do you think um, your, your shows are on currently across the U S well, across the world, network deals, but in, the individual in, in the United States, I know we're on uh, close to about 130 is a very fair number. Um, and then uh, of those 130, uh, four of them are market-specific shows. So we produce a show just for that TV station. The best way to describe it is like a primetime wrestling format where there's hosts uh, doing local interaction with product placement and, and whatnot and then pitching to the same matches that are in the syndicated national show. So everyone's seeing the same content. It's just they might have a different host uh, in the town. Um, so uh, we have that. And then nationally, um, we're on a couple of cable and uh, satellite services. One's called Z Living, which is uh, kind of amazing. It's, uh, it's on Dish and Direct and a lot of cable outlets. Um, it, most of the country gets it. Uh, and uh, I never, when we when we got that deal, I never really paid attention to it. But then we started hearing back from the fans, and a lot of people were telling us they're watching us on Z Living. And then I looked it up, and it was, it's it's actually a real national network um, that everybody does get, uh, for the most part. Um, and then we're on Nesson. Yeah, I'm here on the wall. We don't have cable here. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was saying we, we have Nesson, uh, the New England Sports Channel, which is also national. Um and, and there's like two or three other uh, cluster of uh, regional uh, cable outlets. Then we're in Canada. We're on uh, the Fight Network. 
um, mm -hmm. in Mexico or, or Latin America, we're on a couple of uh, satellite services. And then with the uh, same thing with the fight people, uh, they have us on in Europe, but over there it's branded. It's not called fight anymore. Now it's called uh, access because they own access. Access uh, UK on fight. I think that's how they're branding it there. So we're, we're on over there as well. And the show's uh, in two languages. Yeah, I, I know that, of course. John, have you seen Championship Wrestling from Hollywood before? Oh, yeah. Yep. It's, I was uh, loving it when you had David Arquette on. I was loving that. <laughs> but good stuff. Dude. Good stuff. Good production quality. Good stuff. Really good production quality. David pointed out yeah. something not long ago that uh, I'll, re I'll attempt to um, paraphrase here. That with WWE and AEW now both doing quote unquote empty arena matches, that the AEW, WWE, and Championship Wrestling from Hollywood product looked pretty downright identical. Production. And uh, I, you know, I, it sounded like a pretty lofty statement at first, David, to be honest. But then I'm like, you know, that makes sense. Let me go look. And I looked, and you're right. And yeah. the production quality is. Amazing, probably the biggest little show in the world of wrestling that not that not a ton of people know about. But um, but hopefully we're going to change that soon. On yeah, our viewership is pretty good. I, I mean, it, I wish it could be better. It's mostly because of marketing and and whatnot. Uh, we don't have that type of a budget to put out there to uh, let people know. Even though the show's been on the air air for ten years, in some markets the show is number two or number three in the time slot. Uh, like uh, Memphis, for example. Memphis is a fantastic market of obvious reasons when it's a great wrestling town, but, and we make it very Memphis. Um, and, and the fans locally do complain that the matches originate in, uh, in Hollywood. Um, cause it's not Memphis wrestling, but at least the hosts are and the flavor is, and the local guests are, and, uh, our local advertisers who come on and talk about their products. It's so, so there's interactive action that way, but you know, we get about 350, 375,000, viewers a week uh, across the country. Um, and then, of course, there's the Fight app that uh, sometimes we'll get numbers from. Uh, but we know it's a pretty robust audience. Um, it's not that far off when you think of NXT and, and AEW when they're fighting for, you know, half a million, 600,000 households. Granted, it does fluctuate up towards a million at times. But, you know, 375,000 homes in syndication on broadcast TV, it's not that bad. No, no, it's not bad at all. So, John, John, question for you. Um, I got a bunch of questions I want to ask you in the context of our discussion here. But, but here's one. So we're, we're talking about some like pretty behind-the-scenes stuff right now. I don't think anybody knows podcasting as it's connected to pro wrestling better than you do. I mean, you do what? You do the Shane Douglas show, Tom Pritchard, Francine. Yep. Um well, I'm missing Dutch anybody? Mantel. Dutch Mantel. And your own, of course, which... Dirty Dutch. Yep, and then our own show. Yep. One of the top 18. I don't know how they came up with number 18, but everywhere you look at top wrestling podcasts, you see the top 18. And it's Bruce Pritchard and a couple others and the two-man power trip. So you, you know this stuff well. Would, would it be interesting to do a podcast on what his company, the United Wrestling Network, is doing and get really, really deep about how the business works? Would the fans have an interest in that? I mean, deeper I than so. anybody has ever gone behind the curtain before. 
Yeah, I think so. I feel like uh, the wrestling fans are kind of almost more listening to podcasts and trying to be more behind the scenes and try to learn more about the business than ever before. Uh, dirt sheets have never been more popular, I don't think. I mean, I just think that more people are more interested in behind the scenes and these podcasts and Bruce Pritchard's podcast is off the charts. Uh, just the, the listenership is crazy. So I just think that now is like the time where people love that behind the scenes smart fan kind of thing. And I almost feel like more people are interested in behind the scenes than what's going on in front of the camera sometimes. And Dave, you're, you're cool with that theory. Yeah. Cause you know, that's half of the time. Well, Rick, you know me, I try to be as traditional as possible and it's difficult to be. Uh, and uh, when I'm at other shows or other events <clears throat> or recognized in public, you know, people go back to, really do go back to storyline based uh david marquez when i'm speaking to the internet we've never uh catered to the internet that's one thing that our programming has never done we've never taken the the newest hottest talent that's being shared by everybody and put them on that sh our show for that sake uh we try to premiere people and give them an opportunity so joey janella his first real television matches uh, were with us um MJF, his first television matches were with us. Peter Avalon, 11 years ago, was his first television matches. They were with us. Mm -hmm. And so on and so on and so on and so on. Um, so, you know, uh, as as I'm going to smarter shows, like Joey's Bar Wrestling Show, as an example, and I just go to visit, majority of those fans want to talk to me about, well, when is this guy coming back? And, oh, can you use this person because of an agreement? Or... Uh, you know, I watched your show um, and I think I understand why you did something. And they're looking really deep in a behind the scenes uh, uh, between the cracks type of a situation. Kind of what, what is the wizard doing back there? Um, and, uh, and it's difficult for me at times because, again, I try to stay as traditional to the broadcast as possible. And, and we have both of those. We have the traditional, like as an example, um, the new NWA program that I'm a producer and, and uh, talent on, um, that core audience, even though it is 100% catered to the internet, those are wrestling fans. Those people mm -hmm. do not want to break kayfabe at all. If there's a spoiler, if there's a, 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 if a fan tweets a photo, even though we're encouraging fans to do that, fans don't do it. And they still wait for us after the show in the lobby and they want to take pictures and they want autographs. And it's like a really uh, old way. And granted, we are in Atlanta, but the and the audience is older, I would say. the and, and they're couples. They're not kids. So it's the branding, too. And I think that's one thing with me that I'm associated so much with the NWA uh, because of my previous relationships uh, with the organization, being a former owner in two regimes ago. Um that fan base is very much it. I, I always make the joke, and you've probably heard me say this, it's like the NWA in whatever incarnation it is will never do wrong. It's like the Donald Trump of wrestling. It can be the worst thing or it can be the best thing, and it doesn't matter because the people will always be there for those three letters. So when, it, when I'm trying to deal with the public, I don't know – <laughs> I don't know how to value the magic <laughs> that, that much. In well, I, I, want, I want to challenge you a little bit on that. And I wonder what other people think. We we got a, we have a, Ray Lloyd is on with us watching Glacier. We have some wrestling royalty mm. out there. Oh, yeah. Legend. 
What do you think, man? Can can we peel the curtain back even further to let people in? Is that a good idea or a bad well, idea? Well, I, I, I sit in the today. middle of that. I, I really do. I sit in the middle. So I understand why it would be a good idea. Um, but I also understand the other side of it, too. So I'm not really big on telling people's... When we made Tim Storm the uh, 53-year-old fifth grade teacher, that was kind of out of necessity. Um, I don't know if everybody could be a grocery clerk or everybody can be work uh, at a detail shop or something. Um, and then, you know, on television or something else, because there's still that, that large talent or uh, audience who wants to believe in, uh, in what we're doing. So I don't know if it's fair for everybody to pull that back. Um, uh, there is, I think there's a line you could ride and I, and I think you can be exaggerative with it, but I'm not sure how far you can go with it. Yeah, and I, I don't know where, I don't know where the line is. And sorry to interrupt, but yeah, um, yeah. all the way, I want to do a quick shout out to David, your good friend in mine, Todd Kennelly is watching. Hey man. Nice. There's a guy. Nice. I know, man. We'll let, we'll let anybody on here. Sorry, guys. Todd? Oh, yeah. Very familiar with Todd. He's, uh, he's an interesting character and a good dude for sure. Um, Dave, hi. Okay, so the peeling the curtain back. You guys, I think, are both, if not friends, at least friendly with Jim Cornette. Is that sure. right? Absolutely. And, John, you are. Cornette fucking hates me, you guys. And... <laughs> Oh my God. I mean, although I'm a little insulted by, by his hate for me, and I'll tell you why. Um, I saw a list not long ago about the top 10 people that he hates in this business, and I didn't even make the top 10. So to be hated him by him on one hand and not even make the top 10 on the other is just downright insulting. So I guess I need to figure out how to get it onto that top 10 is, is what I'm saying here. Um, I, I understand one of his huge motivations for or reasons for that hate was the 2000. Dave, you're much better at years than I am. And John, you're like a walking encyclopedia on wrestling way, way beyond anything I'll ever be. We, we released a Discovery Channel special in the early 2000s. I, I don't know if you guys know the year. I don't remember it. I think it was 2000. Um, I was there. I know you were. Yeah. You were part of it. It, it, like John, John blows me away constantly with the details he knows and remembers about this industry and its history. But we did a, a Discovery Channel special called On the Inside Pro Wrestling. And it was, uh, you know, the, the feature people were Aaron Aguilera, who was Jesus, of course, and Justin McCulley, who went on to uh, be a heavyweight in UFC, uh, Looney Lane, Cassandra, uh, Ferragamo, Sadist, Tom Howard, uh, and then... Uh, a guy who was a oh, big swag, Brett Wagner, of course, was featured. And then um, a guy who was just getting started at the time with us, John Cena, was part of it. And I know when that show came out, Cornette went fucking nuts. How dare that Bassman show on the inside pro wrestling school? And I think that's what the grudge is carried to other reasons, but it's not. I'm not here to talk about Jim Cornette. What do we talk about is this. I mean, I, I'm a huge believer in what, what Dave and his partner created with his company. And 
the thing deserves, and Dave, I hope you don't mind me sharing this, in my opinion, to be a lot more, a lot more successful than it is in terms of revenue. Um, I mean, it's a big, it should be a huge company, uh, but it needs to take the next step. And it's like, well, what, what might work that's not being done? My theory is, is the Jim Cornette theory. Pull the curtain back and really let people in deep. So that's why I keep bringing this up. Well, I, um, I and I agree. And Jim, uh, uh, where I'm probably even lower on the list of people he hates, <laughs> depending on what day it is, uh, right? Is right. Uh, uh, you know he uh, his podcast and I listen to it daily. Uh, the stuff that they put out and it's good stuff, um, and it's 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 more educational than exaggerative. I, and that's what I like about it. You know, Jim will go into great detail, not just with the scenario, but he'll at least have references that he can go back to and give other examples um, because he was there and he was a part of a lot of uh, big things. Um, so like, I wasn't going to watch the, uh, uh, the vice secrets of wrestling thing because still there's a big piece of me is like, why do I want to watch another negative pro wrestling thing? Um, but then, you know, I heard Jim talk about it <clears throat> and his involvement with it. So I at least gave the screw job episode a chance because there's a lot of factual things to that. Now, when you get into Snooka and the murder and all that kind of sensationalized inside edition type of uh, uh, programming, I didn't want to watch it. You know, uh, you, you can do the same thing with Bruiser Brody or, or whatever. I, like, I, that, I don't think wrestling needs that type of sensationalism because it's already there. And it's not because I'm trying to protect it. It's just that there's so much better things we can be talking about than something from 30 years ago. <clears throat> um, although that's what makes wrestling go round is the nostalgia, but that's right. like way negative. Like I, I just, I just didn't want to do it. But seeing how Jim does it and how he brings it all back around in his colorful way, if you can, a younger uh, listener, that's one reason why people dislike Jim, is because he is factual and he takes no shit. And he backs it all up, and uh, he he. Has I would agree it. with all that. I'm I'm actually a fan, believe it or not. Oh, I do believe day. you. No, <laughs> I, I completely believe it. Right. But it's just like, like I don't know if, if you guys know this, but like when the NWA show, when he said uh, an Ethiopian joke, um, which is a hunger joke, uh, and I'll go to my grave saying that because I was around when that was a popular punchline. Yes, and and I and I know all about it. Everyone from Johnny Carson to Bob Hope to everybody said those types of jokes. Yes, it, today someone who's not up to speed or lived through that they'll 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 take it and turn it into a race situation, which is what happened. But when when Jim quit the NWA Power Program, I was quite possibly the only one publicly who stood up for him. And I remember that. And yeah. and I was ridiculed for doing it. And I was an evil person and I was this and I was that. Um, and it's just how the audience perceives everything. So I'm trying to stay away from negative stuff. I also remember like in the mid to late eighties, maybe eighty-seven or eighty-eight, uh, Connie Chung did a an inside look on uh, I don't know if it was forty-eight hours of the CBS evening news, but on Jim Crockett promotions. And uh it went down uh, like David Crockett took him on a tour of, of TBS and this is how we put our shows together. And it didn't go, it didn't go inside wrestling. They went, well, this is the costuming department and this is the road warriors. And this is who, what their personas are in real life. 
and we're going to enhance them by doing this. Um, mm-hmm. I remember here's, the, here's the pyro that or the we're going to give them uh, fireworks and we're going to make it so special that the people blah, blah, blah. Um, and they even came out and I think and said at the time, it was like, we don't have the production capabilities of the WWF, but we have the manpower and we can do it a little bit different by by twisting it, um, by making it, you know, a spectacular. And then going back to like the Discovery Channel special, uh, I was with Harley Race. Uh, we were business partners in Missouri when he did the Secrets of Pro Wrestling, uh, the very first one. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. Um, it, it may have been on on UPN or something, but it was in the mid, it was in the mid nineties, later nineties. What's that? I'm talking. Harley Race was uh, was part of the secrets of pro wrestling. John, you know about this, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nodding. Yep. Yep. I remember. I remember yep. Well, I I remember registering my shock. Though. I remember the reason why. So he got a call. And they wanted to legitimize it in their way. They said they were going to disguise him. <laughs> and they put these really tiny sunglasses on his face. And you know, awesome. you, you obviously know it's Harley Race. With that huge head of Yeah, that gigantic right? head and those little mm-hmm. tiny, like Mr. Hughes-style sunglasses, these wraparounds <laughs> that were so tiny. Um, so Clearly not Harley Race, right? No, okay. not Harley Race at all. Don't don't look at the tattoos either. Um, but... Mm-hmm. but uh, I think they paid him like seven or eight thousand dollars. That's why he did it. Um, well, there's a good there's a good motivation. Yeah, and he and he really like bounced it back and forth of you know, uh, should I do this? How much should I say? And if you go back and watch it, he really didn't expose much. He was like, the Booker is the screenwriter. Like he, it, it, it was very basic how he did it versus the right. rest of the program. Um, at any rate, uh, his his other reason for doing it was he was like, well, Vince is already exposing what we're doing on a bigger scale every week. Mm-hmm. I remember my first, inter- this would have been maybe in 96. So Gar- Gordon Soley, Harley Race, and I, uh, and Carl Lauer, uh, all had World Legion Wrestling in Springfield, Missouri. Together. Oh, God, is Carl, is Carl Lauer still alive, by the way? He is. I just saw him post the other day. He's like uh, 118 now, or what? <laughs> I love Carl. Man. Not if you ask I him. Love, I love Carl Lauer. If you ask <laughs> him, he's he's Jack Lelane. Um, okay, good, good. But uh, but no. Uh, at the time, I just remember sitting in a meeting, uh, kind of a booking meeting, but it was more of a corporate like minutes meeting, and Harley just looked at all of us and said, "Well, you know, we really have to do wrestling. There's no one else is doing wrestling. We have to do wrestling. We only had like three TV stations in Missouri." kind of his all-star wrestling uh, stations. And, and and he said, you know, Vince is going to do everything he can to take the word wrestling out of wrestling. And this was in the mid-90s. And I was like, well, how the hell can you do that? His biggest show is called WrestleMania. Like, how, how they... And sure enough, it's happened. So he was right. <laughs> uh, and so all those things are still stuck in my head in not to like what would Harley say or what would Gordon say, it's more or less having respect for the audience. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't go to a Disney theme park and and say you're going to, you waited in line so long to take a photo with a four foot high girl with a mouse head on. You're mm-hmm. going to, you're going to take a photo with Mickey Mouse. So. We both come from the Disney world as well. Dave, Dave and I both have Disney and, and pro wrestling in common. Um, 
I don't know. I think the business is so hard, Dave. And I, I think that, you know, I don't think for a second anybody ever thinks about who the person wearing the Mickey Mouse costume is. Um, oh, I can tell you one night when I toured Don Johnson and Melanie Griffith through, um, through Disney World, Don Johnson told me how he had gotten with Mickey Mouse in his off time, but that's a whole different story. Um, so he was interested who was wearing, who was wearing the costume. But um, I, I just think people get so vested in their favorite wrestlers that they, they want to know what they're all about. Like, John, what, how many interviews have you done on Two Man Power Trip now? Do you have any idea? Uh, over 500. We're coming up on 450 episodes, though. All right, and all right, wow. So of, of that many, I mean, probably 90%, because I know who some of your guests have been, are probably pretty well known to the, the mm -hmm. casual wrestling fan, right? Oh, so yeah. when, when you do these interviews, like recently, I know you interviewed the Warlord. I know you interviewed, um, uh, who was that? You and I were kind of goofing on it. Who else? A tugboat, everybody. Um, who, like, how many guys when you interview them are in work mode as opposed to just like being, being the person? Are, are they, are they, are they in the cafe mode or are they pretty open books about who they are and what they are in real? No, 90% or more are definitely um, in um, open mode where they're, they're going to be open. Very, very few do kayfabe. I mean, maybe a couple handful would want to do some kayfabe interviews. Um, I remember years ago, uh, David probably knows him really well. The hobo, Brandon Taylor, wanted to do a kayfabe interview. I mean, this is like five years ago. He was dying, but not many people want to do some kayfabe interviews. I know when we did a Haku, he kind of wanted to keep some things kayfabe, but then we opened him up and he was talking about stories of, um, you know, beating somebody up at the bar and how maybe it got overblown. He didn't bite the guy and bite his nose off. You know, he may have <laughs> beat the shit out of him in another way. Oh, you shattered every illusion I ever had. He didn't really bite the guy's nose off. Well, oh. well, according to, uh, some other people that I talked to after that, he did, and he's downplaying it. So, but no, most of the guys are open books. Not not too many guys are, are doing the the kayfabe thing on, on interviews. They kind of know that it's uh, well. I think a lot of those older guys, you know, they don't have any money to be made off of it, hmm. so they can expose themselves and they can be sensational and they can be, get a newer audience that they're going to go and research those folks. So. You know, I think it's a much like the hobo. He's still working and he's still active, so yep. he wants to be in character, versus a haku or or, or whomever. Um, there's there's a you know there's money at money <laughs> that can be made off it, right? Um, and and that's where I think the, the the line is. So like with myself, I kind of take uh, I took the the McMahon approach in the beginning where no one knew I was the owner of the company for a long time. I was just the TV guy or I was the, um, uh, or I was the announcer guy or whatever. Mm -hmm. and, and it worked for the longest time. Um, it wasn't until uh, uh, Pierce was going to WWE maybe five or six years ago that, you know, it came out I was the promoter, especially when we knew there was going to be dirty business with the NWA world title and they needed a babyface promoter uh, because of this lawsuit. So I became that guy who was like, well, I tried. <laughs> mm. There were other people against us. And, oh, yeah, the title was left in Australia. That's Shucks. Awesome. Yeah. Right, John, John, John tends to be 
really, really polite. I'm going to put them on the spot for a second. Uh, I know you love when I do this to you, John. But first, uh, I want to say hi to Kevin Quinn real quickly. Kevin's on watching us or listening to us right now. And uh, Kevin was a head trainer uh, for our school, Ultimate University, for a period of time and um, had a huge hand in training people like uh, like The Miz, Joey Ryan, and I'll forget so many. But um, And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't mind saying this. Kevin and I um, – didn't get along too well. We had a big falling out and uh, we mended fences uh, a while back, which I'm really happy about. So, uh, Hey, Kevin, if you're still out there, I see your name on the feed and I uh, hope you're doing, hope you and your family are doing well, man. Just want to say hi to Kevin Quinn, John on the spot. Who was the most ridiculous kayfabe guy? Most ridiculous had to stay in kayfabe mode interview you ever did. Ooh. I don't know. You know, it was funny. We did one with uh, who David probably knows very well, Eli Drake, uh, a few years ago, and he wanted to kind of stay in character and do his catchphrases and do things like that. He's kind of the first one that comes to mind. But it was he was pumping up a show that he was about to be on, so I think that was kind of the reasoning behind it. So it wasn't like ridiculous or bad, or we thought anything of it. We just thought it was funny. It's like, okay, I guess he's gonna kind of pretend he's the champ or you know pretend he's this or whatever so probably maybe eli drake who was great by the way and, and just a great talker okay who was the best interview you ever did do you have best, one favorite best interview you've done uh i don't know i i loved uh, there's a couple jerry lawler terry funk uh, we did the last ever interview with dusty Rhodes a few days before he passed that's one of my favorites and actually WWE's lead attorney Jerry McDivitt might be uh, might be one of my all time favorites because he was an open book and I was shocked that he was an open book. He said any all any questions you're allowed to ask. I was surprised that he was so kind of forthright. Yeah, he, he is. Yeah, McDivitt's a trip, man. I've known oh, him yeah. for many years. He, uh, no doubt about it. Yeah. That's for sure. David, you ever come across WWE in one fashion or another? Yeah, we had a. <clears throat> this was like during the Harley days too, because we, we weren't developmental, but they always send us guys, you know, we would do those sea towns, you can call them or whatever. So uh, if we were doing a show on a weekend after a TV in Missouri or Arkansas or Oklahoma or something, we would get people and I would have to deal with them. And uh, uh, you know, we, we had to sign stuff and it was, it wasn't like anything bad. It was always positive stuff or, um, uh, uh, when Skull and had the suitcase and would pay you backstage, you know, those, those paper, the paperwork you would have to sign. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, sure. uh, I guess Tim White later. Uh, but, uh, it was nothing ever, anything real negative. We did at the dojo when I did the TV Asahi, uh, super junior, uh, footage for the Chris Benoit DVD. I think that's probably the most involvement I had with them. And him and the what was the guy's name? Tom came from the Cartoon this, Network. Tom, this is I, a lawyer for WWE. Uh, well, the lawyer was a part. I mean, McDevitt was a part of it, but I think he bought your stuff. Um, Tom, well, head, head of legal back then was Ed Kaufman. F. Kaufman, oh. I remember him. Right, um, good guy, good guy, yeah. actually. Which you don't say often about lawyers, especially a lawyer <laughs> in the wrestling worlds. That's amazing. A good guy. We have a pretty good one in Steve Bash. Oh, yeah, true. Shout out to Steve. <laughs> but but at any rate, uh, yes. I can't remember Tom's name. Well, when he's came... not when, he, when he's not not returning your phone calls, he's a great guy. That's right. 
and I'm sitting in that world right now. <laughs> I'm sure. Uh, but anyway, sure. it was always positive stuff. But but uh, when I had to get back to them, because in part of the agreement with the uh, Japanese, uh, they were only supposed to uh, use the footage on a DVD, and they, I think, used after Eddie Guerrero passed, they they aired a lot of the uh, Super Junior Tournament footage on TV. And they weren't allowed to do that based on the agreement. And uh, so I had to get back involved with that. And I think there was some compensation that was set around. Oh, with the NWA, the Howard Brody, Dennis Carluzzo licensing agreement. Uh, I had to deal with them to, for that stuff, too. So with Bob Trobich. So, yeah, I've dealt with the office a couple of times over that. No, and, uh, and you live to tell a tale. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's a Thing. I'm still uh, I'm still waiting to get sued by them one day. I have no idea what for, but it's like <laughs> inevitable. I, it's just it's got to happen. Um, I've had nothing but well, not nothing, but mainly very good relationships with Vince on down throughout the years. But there's been some uh, contentious moments as well, and uh, I hope to avoid that battle. Put it that way. But, uh, gosh, John. Yes. Uh, probably, and, and I know I, I might have mentioned this to you before, probably China. Interviewed her a few years ago. She was just back to the States. She was with that, that guy, Anthony, who was her manager, Anthony Adeldonzo, whatever his name is, who I think, Rick, you might actually know him, but he crazy, crazy guy. But, um, she, she was, I don't know if she was you know, a little drunk or, or pilled up or something, but she was a little out of it, repeated herself a bunch of times. And anytime she tried to like say anything, like she started talking about uh, Masahiro Chono, who she wrestled obviously in Japan was kind of a, a little bit of a mentor when she spent some time over there, he like kind of cut it off and didn't want to really want to talk. And then she would repeat herself about something else. So probably China was one of the, one of the worst ones. You know, I, and I appreciate you answering the question. I know it puts you on the spot for sure. I, she's one of those people I definitely miss. Dave, I know you must have worked with her in the New Japan days as well. well we, we had her at New Japan, but I remember at the uh, the fifth anniversary show for you, didn't she sing? On, didn't we have to set up a... She was at the fifth anniversary. It was a Grove. She was the I get very close with her. And uh, I really, really liked her. I thought she was a good person, super good person, who was just she's one of the people. There's no buts to her being a good person. One of those people you would look at that you thought just broke her pride at any moment. And I always just like felt sad for her. For sure, 100%. Um, yeah, and I got to know her pretty well. We 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 did a lot together. You know, I've got a great picture. I should. I wish I knew how to. John, you got to teach me how to use this program because I would pop it. I've got a great picture of like her with my dog Ramon sitting in her lap at Swingers Restaurant in Hollywood. And um, you know, we had had a lot of interesting experiences together. And like you know, like Roddy and some of the others, she's definitely one of the ones that. But I'm not surprised to hear that. That she was challenging in the interviews for sure. I think you actually probably not the world's greatest vocal actor, and she performed live for us on stage at the Grove for the people. She, um, yeah, well, maybe, maybe, maybe was not threatening uh, Celine Dion's job. <laughs> <that day. laughs> no, I just remembered it was a difficult, 
segment and uh, just her getting through the song and uh, us wanted to do a sound check and she didn't show up until it was time for her to go on. Um, mm -hmm. And yep. uh, so it was just, it was a wreck to begin with. And then when she and Sean were together, it was just tough. Oh, so, God, God. So I, uh, that, was, that was just tough times. I, I just say, yeah. And Sean really come out the other side of it now, thankfully. I, I was at their house once when, when things were not good for them. And out of respect for, for Joni's memory and for Sean, who is blessedly alive and well these days, it was an absolute shit show. Um, they were staying with a lady named Melissa, who was their manager at the time. Beautiful. This, this chick was hot. Wow. And she was fun. But um, she wasn't the best for them either. Um, you know, typical telling stories, sometimes my own detriment, I probably share a little bit too much. Now I won't. But, um, yeah, they were a very rough spot. And Jenny was, I think, being exploited by certain managers. She didn't have great luck with her reps. Um, Barry Bloom took care of her for a while. And, you know, whatever people have to say about Barry, she was in good hands then and there. And I wish she was <clears throat> Barry. Um, I actually did her deal for her short-lived uh, tenure at TNA. And okay. I found her really easy to work with. I mean, we're more friends and business associates, but um, anybody that you were close with that you that is belong with? Say it again, Rick. You broke up there. Um, in the industry that's passed on that you were really close with, you that you miss more than others. Oh, there's lots of people, um, uh, and 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 some of them not even super famous. Um, but uh, Roddy, of course, was just yeah, just fun to be around. Um, uh, Gordon Soley was a great teacher. Uh, I learned an awful lot from him. Um, such a surly man, such a such a, a studious man, but so surly and sarcastic and all that kind of stuff. But uh, a, a great teacher. Um, but uh, uh, Joe Schmo, uh, Joe Franciosi, uh, who is a writer and producer, uh, both for the UPW show and WWE and my show. Um, he's, I guess he's most, what most people would know him for is a John Lovett segment on Raw where he took his eye out. That's Joe Schmo. Yeah, um, uh, he had a prosthetic. Um, but he passed uh, while producing on my show. Uh, uh, it was just a great friend. Uh, more than anything, uh, the, one of the craziest, oddest, like total pro wrestling crazy stories that you listen to a story like, ah, oh, that's bullshit. But it really wasn't because it was Schmo, and that's what happens when you're around Schmo. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, it's more of the uh, on the personal side, the more friendships. Uh, you, sometimes with wrestling talent, you're very close to them, but you're not friends in that way. Um, sure. so, but with, with Joe and John Ian and, uh, uh, people, people who I was very close with elbow to elbow working, uh, with this, as you call it, the little engine that could, uh, uh, a lot of what, uh, I'm doing now, we maybe wouldn't have got here without their help. Sure. Yeah. Man, it's, it's crazy. I don't mean to turn this conversation into a bummer at all, but we, we know, we, we live in this industry, the three of us, where so many, I mean, Gordon Soley, thankfully, lived a, a full and a long life. But oh, for sure. that's 
seems to be the exception to the rule. And un unfortunately, I don't. It just we brought up China, so I thought of this. Let's turn it back to a more positive side. Who have we not worked with yet? That's at the top of our list, John. Who have you not interviewed? Who's your number one target? Oh, Rick, I think you know this guy very, very well. The Stinger. Him or Hogan are my two, uh, those are my guys. Those are my two all-time favorites. But I absolutely love the Stinger. One of the nicest guys you'll ever want to meet. One of the most humble guys. I met him about four times. I don't think he realizes he's Sting, like he's that humble. And uh, Hulk Hogan, who might be literally one of the nicest guys uh, I've ever met. Either met him about four or five times as well, one of the nicest guys. I know a lot of people say different things, but when he meets the fans and he meets the the people that you know really kind of appreciate him or like to really you know people maybe worship him so to speak but he's just awesome to the fans so those two are probably the top of my list and current guys that are active daniel bryan for sure another nice guy uh, dave, mm -hmm. dave and i both uh did some work with uh with brian in his early in his career as well well okay i've, I've got to help you with sting i know i've mentioned that before so i've got to i've got to come through on that one for you uh dave how about you who's who do you want uh who do you want in the ring at championship wrestling from Hollywood that hasn't been there yet? Uh, I like Chris Dickinson. Um, I think I can do some really cool stuff with him. Um, uh, he's more of a, you know, a, a kind of out there indie type talent that I think can be uh, corralled a little more fit for television and maybe given a bigger opportunity. Good worker um, if, though, for sure. Yep. Yeah. If, if he were a little more polished to be on the air, um, um, I really like to bring back a lot of my Australian friends. Uh, uh, Mikey Nichols, who was sent back to Australia. He was under contract for a while with the WWE. Uh, Hartley Jackson. Uh, all those guys actually came out of the LA Dojo here. Uh, I'd love to have Carl Anderson back. You and I talked about this just the other day. Gallo can be on the show. I'd love, I would love those guys to be on the show. Have you talked to Luke? You talked to Luke since he's been released? Uh, we, uh, we, we, uh, texted, <laughs> like, uh, but, um, he made a joke on, on his podcast with Rocky Romero. They, the three of them have a podcast and he joked in there that, you know, what are they doing in the future? And Luke said <laughs> that, uh, he's getting, uh, Dustin Hoffman to walk into the ring at championship wrestling from Hollywood. So, uh, as a person, did I ever tell you about the time he and I uh, we had we did a little one on one? No, ever mentioned that to you, David? Probably didn't. No. Um, this was in a bar in Kinshasa, the Democratic Republic of Congo, at four a.m. one night. Just an absolute out of control drunk fest. It was me, uh, Luke Gallows, and Nathan Jones, and about two hundred native Congolese, and somehow or some well you, I, I thought it'd be a good idea to put luke up for the airplane spin drunk at 4 a.m in this bar with me at 135 pounds and him at whatever he is 285 325 i don't know and i lost my i lost my footing so the end result of um match with luke Gallows was luke broken nose so i won that one anyway <laughs> i thought i'd mention but yeah, I like to have my guys back that I was influential in helping them in the States. Uh, Fergal Devitt would be fantastic to have back working with me. Um, uh, but I don't see him uh, being available anytime soon. Um, but, you know, you know we, we, we do enjoy a great relationship with the NWA and Billy Corrigan and Dave Lagana. 
and we have an awful lot of those guys av- available for our programming. So um, together we help each other out. So, I mean, there's no like wish list, but uh, th- th- those names are, are pretty important to me. All right. So I, I promised up front that uh, I wasn't going to be like the interviewer, but kind of turned into that somehow by default. What else is on your guys' minds, wrestling-wise or otherwise, that'd be fun to talk about before we uh, duck out and, and well, uh, just I, I wanted to mention something to David, something I've been dying to ask him for 15 years. Not really asked, but just kind of jokingly say, years ago I interviewed uh, Brian Kendrick, and I literally just said three words, and he started cracking up. So I want to see if I kind of get, not not a same reaction, but let's see your reaction to it. Dragon, soldier, B. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> um, uh, luckily, I, I just read he was fired too. Yes. Um, yes. <laughs> crazy. Yeah. Yep. I had no idea he was even there. I know. So, so uh, by the way, guys, I have no idea what you're talking about well, right now. So, That's Dragon right. Soldier B was Kendo Kashin. Um, oh. So, we. <laughs> So Simon had me doing these Best of American Super Junior shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did one at the Omani High School Gymnasium. We did one at the Hollywood Athletic Club, which was really cool. That one was a great show. Um, and we did another one. I can't remember where. Uh, but the last one we did was uh, with Ring of Honor at the Asbury Park Convention Center. Yep, I was um, there. Yep. Oh, you were there? Yes. Ah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. So uh, the person you might want to talk to is, um, oh, shit. Why did I forget his name now? He works at the WWE now, too, backstage. Uh, Jamie Noble. Oh, Jamie Noble. Jamie Noble. (laughs) No, not Gabe. Gabe does not want to talk about that night. No, 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 no. Uh, But at any rate, uh, so Simon had me put together uh, the show with uh, Gabe and uh, and Rob. I think Rob was still there. I don't think it was Carrie yet. It was Rob. And so we, we did the show with them. They did their piece, the best American super junior. Uh, Gabe wanted to canvas. So I had to fly in a damn new Japan canvas from LA and put it on the plane with me and all this stuff. Um, so going into it, the booking was done 100%. We knew exactly what was supposed to happen. And that's exactly how it went down. But through the entire show, Gabe, Punk, not so much Brian, uh, maybe Samoa. Uh, they were so on top of me to convince me to switch the booking. And I said, I can't. I absolutely cannot do this. I work for the company. This is what was agreed on months ago. Now, going into it, he was supposed to be Kendo Kashin. Right. When we got there, he was fucking dragon soldier B <laughs> because the finish was him and Brian Danielson right or no Jamie Noble at the, the end of that but at any rate he was a he was a second version of uh, 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 American Dragon 2 as say dragon soldier B and that wonderful Japanese thinking and um I didn't get it nobody got it no one knew the he was even doing goofy shit in there too, if I remember correctly. It wasn't even mm-hmm. like being taken serious at all. No, no, but, not uh, at all. But uh, it it caused a lot of issues after the fact, and so much so that Gabe, whether he wants to admit it or not, Gabe 
didn't arrange our, our uh, a hotel to stay in that night. And myself, Brian, Rocky Romero, Ricky Reyes, all the LA guys, uh, I think Samoa even, uh, we went out to dinner and we didn't have room. So we had to sleep, and Kendo Kashin, uh, we had to sleep at the either the Newark or the Philadelphia, you know, the Newark uh, uh, airport um, out the ticket counter on top of the New Japan canvas as a big giant. Oh, pillow. and that's an ugly airport, too. Yeah. Mm, wow. uh, and nothing was open. There was a big gate, of course. Uh, close, everything was closed uh, two, three o'clock in the morning. And we had to roll out the canvas <laughs> and sleep on the canvas and use the wow. other big end as a, <laughs> as a pillow. So yeah. it's all of us laying across the thing trying to sleep. Um, because uh, we wouldn't play. Yep, and uh, he wins. Dragon Soldier B beats the new Black Tiger in the final. Right. Black Tiger beat Danielson. Yeah, so then uh, yeah. Dragon Soldier B that made it even worse. All that I remember Daniels was that night Gabe was telling me, and and he debates me on this too, but I was the first suit ever in the ring at a Ring of Honor event. Um, I did a proclamation or something for New Japan, and I. Yeah was in there shaking a hand, I guess. And uh, Jamie Noble, uh, as I'm leaving, comes running past me. And I just looked at him, what the hell? I thought the show was over. And he's, he's the wrong man won this tournament. And they turned it into a whole thing quickly. Yep. Um, uh, uh, but yeah, that was, uh, that was not one of my favorite nights. <laughs> <laughs> I just had to bring that up. I knew you would uh, get a kick out of that. That's a good and one. backstage, that stage we were on, that was all the, the actual stage area. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, uh, propped up. Yep. Yeah, the whole thing was dilapidated, and there were big, giant chunks. You can see the ocean, and there was like a storm that night, if I remember correctly. A horrible, um, horrible weather. Yeah, yep. real bad yep. storm. But we had, uh, there were all these cautioned areas blocked off where you couldn't walk across the stage or you'll fall through. Um gigantic holes and i can see the ocean underneath with the waves just coming in <laughs> sloshing up through the hole and everything and uh yeah it was just a bad night like at the end of the evening no one wanted to talk to anybody um simon in new japan was happy because they got the footage and their guy went over and yeah i always thought it was simon simon's was always it? happy when nobody else is happy that's kind of how it seems to and 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 vice versa which is and funny, too, because Howard Brody just popped up in our chat room. So he has... I see him. Hello, Howard. ...stories as well. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's just... Because the, the payoff was supposed to be the winner gets to go to New Japan and compete. So their own guy won. Yes. Went back. Yep. And, and he wasn't even Dragon Soldier B when he went back to New Japan, I don't think. Um, I think he was back to being Kendo Kashin. Yeah. Mm. Uh, but yeah, uh, he wasn't my favorite guy at all at the dojo. I, he and I butted heads so much. It was that that was quite possibly my most difficult time in wrestling was managing that facility and being there for five years. It was not a fun atmosphere, and it, and none of that really had to do with Simon because um, he was really a worker bee. Um, it had to do with everybody else, and uh, he's made up for it. You know, my Chinese special that we did uh, two years ago from China was because of Simon. Simon put that whole thing together on that side because he was there. Um, and uh, he and I are good friends uh, still. But uh, those dojo days were, were not fun. Everybody, there was always an issue with somebody. Like, they wouldn't book Samoa Joe in New Japan, but he can go to Zero One. Um, 
Oh yeah, yeah. You remember yeah. all that? Yeah. We, 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 oh, did I? I had the zero one deal, of course. Yeah. I remember that well. You know, there was yes. all this stuff. Um, uh, Brian Danielson. Uh, oh no, Fergal is like one of my favorite ones. Uh, who is now Finn Balor? So when I brought him over here, um, they sent him over to Tokyo as uh, doing the whole young boy thing, and uh, they didn't want him like because. They didn't know what to do with him or something. I don't. I don't know how you know how they think. You no, but well, back in those days, he would not have looked the part for what. They no, were you don't know. So sure. we put a sure. we put a mask on him, and uh, and we basically made him Chris Benoit, uh, the Wild Pegasus, mm-hmm. and Pegasus. we created a That's second right. a second generation because uh, the bodies kind of matched. Hmm. Which they didn't, but oh, didn't know that. But we did that. Um, Oh, hey, I got, I'm going to interrupt you, Dave. I'm sorry, because I'm sure. obnoxious. I, I want to give a quick shout-out before this guy ducks off. Sean McCauley is on watching us. And uh, do you know Sean? Of course. Of course you do. <laughs> and you want to be really careful how you wave and what you say, because he might fly in from Puerto Rica, or from Costa Rica and beat the shit out of you. You know that. <laughs> Dude, Sean, I miss you, man. I've actually been meaning to reach out to you, because I want to have you on my show, because I think we could do some pretty fucking amazing stuff. Um Sean McCauley is one of those legends of the MMA and pro wrestling world that not a lot of people know about, but they should. Anyway, hey, Sean, just wanted to say hello. Dave, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, no, the, the, the next thing with Fergal was, uh, you know, they wanted to kind of make him a leprechaun or something and, you know, really Irish. And uh, they wanted to call him King Devitt or Fergal the King or something. And I said, look, he's young. Uh, you can consider him exotic looking if you don't want to call him handsome or whatever. Uh, he said he's really a prince. So if you're going to make him royalty, make him a prince. And so he was Prince Devitt for the longest time. And he virtually became like an underwear type model over there for the, for a little bit. Um, and uh, that kind of status in comics and in, in, in secular things on game shows and, and talk shows and stuff. Uh, and that's the thing that I never understood about the Japanese and how they fought and how they didn't want to be American pro wrestling, but yet they wanted to be American pro wrestling. You know what I'm talking about. It's just, you know, Dave, I, I was on a train ride once. Do you remember Yoshiyuki Nakamura? Is that name sure. familiar? Yeah. That was, uh, that was Hashimoto's partner in zero one. And I think we brought about 70 guys to Japan over the years. And God, it, was, it was such a blessed time. I got to go to Japan probably 50 times or more. Sean McCauley was a big part of that. Um, that's where uh, Sylvester Turkai became Predator and Tom Howard finally really got their their first time to be over and in the spotlight. That's where Samoa Joe really hit it for the first time as King Joe. Um, it was amazing, amazing times. But to, to comment on what you said, on about my 30th trip there, and every time you think you're getting stuff figured out, it would get more and more confusing. And I remember being on a long train ride one day sitting on the floor in the middle of the aisle with Nakamura, drinking a bunch of those giant Kirin beers, when he took about two hours trying to explain to me how Japanese wrestling worked. And I got off that train more confused than I was before I got on it. Yeah. So, yeah, man, I, I hear you loud and clear. Yeah. Like, there was a dome show. can't remember what year it was, but Simon, I think Simon was the president already, and – uh he came back to Santa Monica and basically handed me and Rocky uh, white erase mic, uh, markers. It was like, go ahead and book the thing. Like, what? <laughs> I guess put the thing together. And I want to say. At the Tokyo Dome. At the Tokyo Dome. Uh, All but right, we did cool. it in Santa Monica. Um, and I think, honestly, like 
40% of what we put together was actually what they did. Um, oh. And uh, it, it was just, it was, it was a weird time. It just, no one was in charge. Uh, it was cross communications. Mr. Noki wasn't a part of it anymore. Not that he really was. Uh, but then you had this infighting between uh, the establishment uh, and and the uh, G uh, Gato and Jado really trying to come in and, and do something progressive uh, mm -hmm. because they understood what we were doing at the dojo. You know, when we had Shinsuke Nakamura there, we were doing pretty creative things in developing what his persona was going to be when he went back. Um, but, uh, but yeah, the, the you know, the, the striking and the, or whatever people call strong style, uh, we we were trying to kill that stigma in the states to go back to Japan, which is ultimately what they ended up doing with the Young Bucks and and modern uh, New Japan. Right. Yeah, the world has changed, has it not, man? I miss those days, but we uh, we have to move forward. Well, guys, um, anything? Else? Anything else to talk about today? No. Thank you for um. Nope. <laughs> Many words. Nope. Uh, nope. Dave, thanks for uh, being being on here and helping us uh, figure this out. I, I one last question I want to ask you. So, you know, anybody that's watching this, um, you know, I've got this now. It's time for the shameless plugs. I've got this uh, podcast called Talking Tough www.talking-tough.com interviewing uh, or talking with, I should say, uh, Jason Roberts tomorrow at uh, 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern, right here on Facebook Live. So John Pozorowski from the Two Man Power Trip, one of the most successful podcasters in the pro wrestling world, is, uh, and I'm very thankful for this, is my producer on Talking Tough, and he and I today are figuring out how this uh, live streaming with more than two people works on Facebook. So Dave agreed to uh, help us test this. But man, this turned out to be really cool, Dave. Thank you. This is oh, awesome. Thanks for inviting me. And, this is fun. Yeah, and I think we should do more of these, Dave. I kind of have an idea about maybe doing a regular thing called like three-way dance and just coming up with like interesting people to put on. Sure. That could be really fun. I don't know. Just a thought. Yeah. Just, just a thought. And uh, so, John, what what do you plug? Two man power trip, obviously. Where where yeah. do you guys go? Yeah, so uh, just check out my Twitter at Two Man Power Trip. We're everywhere: uh, Apple Podcasts, iHeart, Stitcher. We're all over the place. We just had on good old Jr. Jim Ross for the record tying <laughs> fifth time. So tied Jim Cornette actually for being on there the most so you know check us out on there like uh like i said before dirty dutch mantel has a podcast on mlw radio that uh we produce um that i'm on there too co-hosting with uh, with dutch so that's called university of dutch i got dr tom pritchard's taking you to school podcast i got shane douglas's triple threat podcast on vince russo's the brand so got a lot of a lot of stuff in the works and um, just check out my twitter really for all the stuff and um check out tmptempire.com is the website Right. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And uh, Dave, you got some so much stuff going on. What what do you plug? Uh, well, the main thing is Championship Wrestling from Hollywood. Uh, so that's at CWF Hollywood, uh, Twitter, Instagram, uh, and, and Facebook. Uh, CWF AZ TV is our Arizona show. I'm CWF H Marquez. Um, 
but uh <clears throat> yeah i mean we're still planning to do stuff as soon as they tell us we can do it um and uh we've enjoyed a real in 30 years of being in wrestling you know the last probably <laughs> or not <laughs> the last, uh, uh 13 years has uh, been really fantastic. Uh, uh, you know, the Chinese show has uh, just aired, and I, th I think it's back up on our uh, uh, YouTube page. It's uh, United Wrestling Network. Um, and uh, at any rate, it, that, that's where you can find all of this. But, you know, John, one thing, um, next time you uh, – here's a show idea. Hey, relax. Um, <laughs> You're relaxed. you got to hear this. Here's a show idea. And, and don't forget sport.com, uh, of course. In Knoxville, about maybe 08, 09, 10, something like that. I did a show there, uh, New Southeastern Championship Wrestling on Fox 43. It was a local show uh, and shot it out of the, uh, uh, the Knoxville Civic Auditorium where uh, the Smoky original Mountain. show was, and they did a lot of Smoky Mountain there and, yep. and whatnot. Um, so uh, this belt maker, I'm not going to put his name out there because he's a piece of shit, but this <laughs> belt maker in the area convinced me to come in and do a local version like I have done. And so we put it all together and we went. And Tom Pritchard was so kind to come in to help book this thing and put it together. And I mean, the guy was even helping with the ring and... Wow. everything just a sweetheart of a guy uh and since i didn't live there and i had the tv in my name and you know then it became a company and then they went into the company's name and more people got involved and but i could i wasn't there to watch it um we had great advertisers all that good stuff um uh, and for a big show uh this belt maker brought in another investor and i agreed to it i didn't know the guy at all um who basically undercut all of us <laughs> mm. and uh, all of us being mostly me. <laughs> and uh, I remember I was going to Facebook one day to post something, well, the, but I'm getting ahead of myself because uh, Jim Cornette is involved in this too. And um, uh, uh, we created Jim Cornette Appreciation Day in Knoxville, Tennessee. And the mayor of Knoxville, we presented Jim with the key to the city. And, and then Jim became more involved with the show. And uh, I was gone. And then all of a sudden, about a, I don't know, two or three weeks later, uh, I tried to get into the Facebook page to post an upcoming event, and I couldn't get in. Uh -oh. <laughs> and, then I, and then I noticed, I refreshed it, and there's this thing called Great America Wrestling on, on Fox 43. Like, what the fuck is this? So right. I called the station, and the general manager says, well, we're giving you your 30 days notice for uh, Southeastern Championship Wrestling, and we're putting this new wrestling on. I said, I don't, what is this new wrestling? I don't know. It's the same thing that's on my Facebook. He said, oh, you should probably talk to Jim Cornette. <laughs> <laughs> I'm having trouble, Dave, digesting any of this because I'm still in shock over just the idea of Jim Cornette having the key to any city, but... That's a that's a beautiful. It was a thing, big draw, that, and the mayor was there, and now Kane is the mayor of that town. Um, yeah, yeah, but yep. uh, but uh, of, course, uh, of course, yeah, of course he was. And him and Doctor Tom have JPWA, the wrestling school. In the that's town. right. So yeah. it, it'd be it'd be pretty funny if you get the three of us on there because those two will talk, and uh, and I'll probably just nod my head. But um, well, let let's do that. It, that it, sounds it's, it's like pretty, it was a pretty one. funny situation. That was that, that's one of the better 
Dave Marquez got fucked situations. <laughs> That's awesome. Hey, I, I know we're uh, I know we're getting ready to cut out here, but um, a uh, a friend just uh, ducked on Dave. You may remember her, John. You know you you know the the world. So a friend by the name of Karen Maurer was oh, watching sure. us, and Karen was one of our first trainees, one of our, probably our first female trainee ever, and she got signed to WWF. I don't practice revisionist history. They were WWF at that time. And she was on TV as Muffy Maurer, Stephanie McMahon's personal trainer. So I wanted to say hi to Karen real quickly. And I also want to let you know that I am breaking up with you. And <laughs> she'll know what I'm talking about. Um, guys, I can't do this. David, or I should say here from the Hawaiian time zone at 5.45 p.m. And David Marquez, Pacific, 8.45 p.m. John on Eastern time zone is nearing midnight your time. Man, got to love technology. This has been really cool. Thanks, guys. Let me tell you something you already know. The world ain't all sunshine and rainbows. It's a very mean and nasty place. And I don't care how tough you are, it will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it. You, me, or nobody is going to hit as hard as life. But it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. Now, if you know what you're worth, now go out and get what you're worth. But you got to be willing to take the hits and not pointing fingers saying you ain't where you want to be because of him or her or anybody. Cowards do that and that ain't you. You're better than that!